Welcome to the Real Tale Podcast. I am hosting this week. I am Kelsey Lazell. No one gives a crap about Mark. That's messed up. <laughs> no, just kidding. Shit. <laughs> we're like starting the show off the bat. No one gives a crap about Mark. Look, Hi. We're, you know what? We are doing some real material about whiny bitches. Mm. And I feel like I have to keep the spirit alive. So are you calling me a whiny bitch? No. Oh, you had to think about that. <laughs> I like that. You had to think about that. Okay. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Um, you know. No, they don't. You know. know. You, you do know. You know about our show. You know our MO. You know what we do. Hopefully, you don't know where we live. Um, no, that'd be totally weird. <laughs> Especially after like what we're going to say today on today's episode. Yeah, exactly. That could be a very popular opinion. Uh, we have Facebook, The Real Appeal, uh, which is two E's and real. Twitter, at Appeal Real. Instagram, The Real Appeal. And you can also email us if people still do that. TheRealAppeal at gmail.com. Um, if you really love us, you can review us on iTunes so we can kind of move up the ranks and be seen by more people. Get on the first page for iTunes and get noticed and all that. All yeah. that shit. Uh, cause we want to be noticed like one of the characters that we're going <laughs> to talk about. Um, our segments for this week will be the news. Uh, as usual, we have our recent review from Todd Phillips, which is Joker. Um, fuck that guy. Uh, Jesus, let's let's get let's hold, well, I'm hold, sorry, hold. I'm sorry. let's get through this. Uh, what the fuck did we just watch? Yeah, we Brett. have the best rap you will ever hear in your life. I'm not even gonna tell you what it is. Yeah, so we'll get to it's, it. a, it's just a new segment. We're just gonna kind of, we just thought of it yesterday, and it was like. <laughs> showed him something and he watched the whole thing and he's like what the fuck and there was there was a car Mm -hmm. (laughs) that said why god on his license plate (laughs) as he was watching it i'm like that's too fucking perfect (laughs) uh yeah so we're gonna torture your souls with that Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, the geriatric cinematic, which is Martin Scorsese's 1976 Taxi Driver. I'm really looking forward to talking talking about this movie with you. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's a classic. It's a film classic. Uh, I believe it's like the top 27 film, or it's, tw- it's number 27 on AFI's like greatest films ever. Mm-hmm. It's on the it's on the list of like films you have to watch before you die. Uh, um, you know what? <laughs> Hmm. It's like on the list of films that'll make you die. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I really want to hear your opinion on this, especially somebody who's not really familiar with Scorsese's work. Yeah. And Taxi Driver is one of my favorite films of all time. Mm. But uh, looking forward to, to have this discussion, even though I'm probably not going to like it. <laughs> I think you'll be okay with it. Okay. I think so. I'll hold you to that promise. I didn't promise any fucking Shut thing. Shut up. I'll hold it to you. all right uh i guess let's get into the news you know we got uh we got to talk about something a little more positive here yeah kevin smith is finally making clerks three finally making clerks three 
uh, Smith had posted on Instagram on uh, Saturday. Um, I believe it was last Saturday before we recorded this episode. Uh, he had a picture of him with Jeff Anderson, who plays Randall Graves in the in the Clerks franchise, and uh, Jason Mewes. Uh, he it was a long winded uh, Instagram post, but pretty much saying that hey, we got the original cast back together. I'm going to write a new script for Clerks Three, and we are finally going to end the whole Clerks story. I am really thrilled about this because he's been trying to get this movie off the ground for a while. And I love, I don't like all his movies, but I absolutely love clerks. I like clerks too, because it has something as, as Smith has said, clerks has something to say about something has something to say about a person in their twenties. Clerks too is about having something to say in your thirties. And he's always said that when he gets to three, it's going to be about being in either like in your 40s or 50s and kind of getting to that point in your life. It's like, okay, I'm here. This is my life now. Did he have to be the age he was? <laughs> like, no. no. I mean, He's it's been... taken so long to get to Clerks 3. Was he waiting until he was in his 40s no. or 50s to write it? He's had like a lot of false startups. Um His career has gone a little bit downhill over time. He's, the, he's not the same. I mean, he's recognized as Kevin Smith, people do know him, but he's his directing hasn't been bringing in the box office numbers like it used to. Mm. So a lot of studios have either like passed on his projects or just kind of been like whatever. And the, the generations has changed. You know, there's not like a lot of uh, there are fans of Clerks of Kevin Smith's work, but the younger fat the younger generation they're just like oh Kevin Smith oh yeah guy from uh, Comic Book Men oh yeah yeah oh yeah I listen to his podcast they're That's not me. like <laughs> I'm like comic. Men. Yeah, exactly. They're not like, oh yeah, clerks, you know, clerks and dogma and chasing Amy and stuff like that. Those are like films that are really good. Of his that I grew up watching. Um, he's uh, he got really close to Clerks three maybe about four years ago, but um, Jeff Anderson, he like Jeff Anderson was gonna be the focal point of the movie. And Jeff Anderson went like, no, I don't want to do it. And that dude, he's not like an actual actor. He, he's one of those guys who's like likes to be secluded and just be left alone. And he's not really comfortable acting. Mm. But I don't know what he did, but he did something to convince him to come back. What does he normally do if he's not acting? Just living his life. I think he like lives up in the mountains or something like that with his wife and just kind of just hangs out, just does his thing. Like works like a regular nine to five. It's weird. I mean, does he know him from somewhere? Yeah, um, they were they were friends. From, oh. he, I mean, Kevin Smith hired a lot of people for clerks um, who weren't really actors. They were just people that he knew mm-hmm. or like um, people who do like theater acting, like right. Brian O'Hala, who plays Dante. Um, Jeff Anderson was just like some dude that he knew. And that's some dude who was like funny. He was like, I need you to put you in my movie. This needs to be you. And he was and that dude was like, oh, OK, sure. I'll, mm. I'll do it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's only like been in like a handful of handful. Sorry, handful of films. Mm-hmm. Hand, is that a yeah, okay. a handful of films. Yeah, and um, like, like I said, I don't know what he did, but the dude came back, and I'm so I'm so fucking happy to see this. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know what's even more awesome? What? Spider Man is staying in the MCU for another film. Yeah, let's get the horns out. Anyway. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> Spider-Man's coming back. Yes. You know what makes me even happier about this? What's that? The fact that Tom Holland is the one who facilitated their negotiations. Yeah, I heard Tom Holland has something to do with it. Uh, the Russo brothers has something to do with it as well. 
But in the end, I mean, there's a lot of money that that was going to be that there's a lot of money that could be made from this. I mean, it's Spider-Man. Yeah. Disney was like, yo, we can make a lot of money. And then Sony's like, yeah, we can make a lot of money, but I want all of it. Yeah. And Disney's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> we, whatever. I don't care. We can make all our money. Fuck you guys. Yeah. And Sony was like, oh, shit. <laughs> we, we fucked up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, so what was going on? What's going on with the deal? I heard like the, the deal has changed a little bit. So I guess it used to be 5% uh, for Disney. Mm. And that was like off the top. Just off the top. Mm. And then they would get all of the merchandise sales. Yeah, that's that's been... That's the old one. Yeah, that's the old one. That's That's been there. That's still there. That's how they make their money off of Spider-Man. Right. So now it's... They pay for 25% of the budget... And mm-hmm. they get back 25% of the profit. That's going to be... A, I know people are like, oh, Disney doesn't need all that money. Yo, that movie's going to make... The third Spider-Man movie is going to make a fuck ton of money. But there's like 75% that Sony is getting. So it's like... They're still making out like fucking bandits. Yeah. And they're not putting up the director. They're not putting up... Like, Disney is doing the work. Yeah, that's the thing. Disney's the one who got it, who brought in John Watts. Disney's the one who was like, bring in Tom Holland. Disney was like, yo, Kevin Feige, come out here. Disney was like, yo, get this writing creative team in here. Like, and Sony ain't doing shit other than like the marketing. They do some of the marketing, and their marketing is horrendous. (laughs) So, um, let's see. The new film is scheduled to release. On July 16th of 2021, Amy Pascal will also produce through mm. Pascal Pictures. Um, and she's the one who did the first two yeah, Holland movies. Yeah. Um, and Feige had this to say. He said, I'm thrilled that Spidey's journey in the MCU will continue. And I and all of us at Marvel Studios are very excited that we get to keep working on it. Spider-Man is a powerful icon and hero whose story crosses all ages and audiences around the globe. And he also happens to be the only hero with the superpower to cross cinematic universes. So as Sony continues to develop their own Spideyverse, you never know what surprises the future might hold. I'm looking forward to this. I'm sure, I'm sure you are, Kelsey, as well, right? Fuck yeah. Especially like after that, that cliffhanger at the end of uh, in, uh, Far From Home. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. I I just couldn't get my head around the idea that they're basically building him up as being Iron Man's protege. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. That was the end. So I'm glad they're, mm. hopefully they're not like hanging everything on that. But yeah. I mean, at least one more movie. Yeah, um, uh, from what I understand, some of the deal will actually allow Spider-Man to show up in another MCU film. No one knows what that could be. I mean, what it is. Some people say it's like Young Avengers, or he might just pop up somewhere. I think that's pretty dope that they're going to do that. I've I've been hearing a rumor, like I said, this is a rumor, that Kevin Feige is actually getting ready to write him out. Probably, because then you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, like a contingency plan. Like, oh, yeah, Spider-Man's gone, so let's go ahead and do this. I I, I, I don't like that he, they have him as, like, the next Iron Man, kind of. Mm-hmm. I don't really like that, because in the comics now, there's, the next Iron Man is this character called Riri Williams, mm-hmm. who's, like, she's, like, this young black woman who uh, who becomes Ironheart, 
and like she becomes the next Iron Man and Tony Stark is like Jarvis, you know, the AI system for her. Mm-hmm. And I thought I think I think that would be really great to explore in a movie. And yeah. really bring something new. And then they could always come back to Tony Stark anytime, but um, you know, hopefully they don't go too far into the whole Spider Man is the next Tony Stark and just give Spider Man his own Spider Man story. Yeah, it would be great. And hopefully they do something a little more Spider Man esque. Better than Far From Home. I think they will. I mean, it wasn't bad. Yeah. You know, we already reviewed it, but just something cool, not something whiny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's teenage angst. That's how it is. It was. <laughs> teenage angst from a teenager is cool, not. The teenager doesn't have any angst, but this grown ass adult does. Oh, fucking Mysterio. Yes. That's just hilarious. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. And then more, more good news. Mm. Jordan Peele, um, his company Monkey Paw and Universal Forge um, have a new exclusive five year film deal. That's awesome. I don't know anything about his company or monkey paw yeah and i don't know who universal forge is oh no forge like they are forging a new oh like, i don't, I don't yeah, know yeah the new, i the was new, like who's universal forge? yeah that, that's <laughs> that sub that sub company from universal called universal forge you know <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah, the Oscar-winning uh, creative behind Monkey Paw Productions has signed on with Universal Pictures uh, to have a uh, five-year deal to release his set of movies. I think this is fucking great. I love Jordan Bill. I actually am worried. Why? Because he's so great. Like it's like I don't want him to fizzle out. You know, I'm actually worried that that. The stories he's come out with mm-hmm. so far have been so good that at some point he's just going to start doing shit. I, don't, I honestly don't think that. I, from what I heard, he has like he has mountains of stories to tell that oh, he's good. worked on for decades. He's you know, I mean, for people who don't know, Jordan Peele started off as a comedy writer and a comedian. You know, his um, uh, of course, Key and Peele. That was like their, his big break with uh, Key Mike and Key. Um, but I mean. I don't know if this. I don't know if this is exclusively only for him to direct or for him just to push the movies out. Because right now he's producing uh, the new Candyman film. Um, I forgot. I forgot the name of the director who's doing that. Um, he's got this really great show called uh, Lovecraft Nation, which is based off a novel that's coming on HBO. That's his partner with. Uh, he's partnered with J.J. Abrams, mm-hmm. producing that. He's producing the Twilight Zone, which is really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if it's. If it's mainly him just directing these films, or is him just like, oh, I got a product, let me go find the right mind behind an idea to like push this, to push this movie. Oh, okay. And he has an eye for like catching talent. Does he? Yeah, I mean, he's one. I I I, I view Jordan Peele as a person who can really, who really is about the story and about how to tell the story. He's not like he's not like he's not like oh, I have to direct this. I am the writer. Yeah, I. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, from what I've heard, um, there was a writer who was on uh, Harmontown who is actually in the writer's room for The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And the way she kind of dis- she couldn't go into detail, but she described that Jordan Peele is there every day for the writing sessions. 
And he do, he doesn't come up with ideas. He just goes back and forth with the writers. And he's like, okay, that sounds good. Let's try this and let's try that. So he's he's a very collaborative type person. Okay, cool. Which is awesome. Um, I cannot wait for that. And I also cannot wait to get into our um, recent review section. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to wait because we're just, just going to do that now. Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose to bring laughter and joy to the world. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? That was Joker. 2019. From Todd Phillips. He directed it. He's directed War Dogs. Hangover series. Um, It was written by Todd Phillips. Scott Silver. uh, Scott Silver, I guess, did The Finest Hour, The Fighter, and Eight Mile. Um... The synopsis is a gritty character study of Arthur Fleck, a man disregarded by society. It has, oh, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) Well, you know, I was like, it has, and then my whole screen went all the way to the bottom. (laughs) It uh, stars uh, Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck, Robert De Niro as Murray Franklin, Zazie Beetz as Sophia Dillman, uh, Francis Con... Conroy as Penny Fleck and Brett Cullen as Thomas Wayne. I was so happy to see Francis Conroy. Yes, from fucking uh, Six Feet Under. I know. It's a show that we loved up until the last episode. Why does she have to be so weird and everything, though? I don't know. I I feel like she was the same character in this as she was in that one. I guess she kind of found her shtick. Um, She was kind of weird in American Horror Story, but very wise, but still kind of weird. Yeah. Maybe she, I hope she's just, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I don't have anything, anything to say about that. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Do you want to do the news about it or do you want to talk about it and then go into that news segment um, after? Let's, let's, let's talk about what we like and then let's talk about a little, let's talk about a little bit of the controversy that happens, um, that happened, this film coming up and into the sport, what, when we go into the spoiler section, let's go ahead and do that. Okay. Let's say something really positive about the film first. Yeah. Let's okay. get let's let's get that out of the way. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. There are positives about the film that I did enjoy. Um you guys will this is, I'm essentially just echoing this out. Joaquin Phoenix is in the, in the, the film as Arthur Fleck, phenomenal. Great, great acting. Um there's already talks of Oscar nominations. I do not doubt that. Especially I've seen this before. This, uh, Joaquin Phoenix has always been a great actor. Like he, he bleeds and just melts into these roles. This is no exception. Um, there were several scenes where I was looking, where the camera would just be static and just hold on the shot of Arthur Fleck just looking. And I got like this weird, unnerving feeling. I was just like, this guy's gonna fucking kill people. Like, you know, it's like, you, yeah. know, you get that sense, like, this guy's a murderer or something. Yeah. That's what I got. Or 
it was just like you can tell he's a tortured soul just the way how he looked mm-hmm. so like if i never knew who um i said river excuse me uh who joaquin phoenix was i would have been like wow they found a real fucking psychopath to be in this movie that's amazing <laughs> um so yeah that's that's what i feel on on the acting part i also saw some of the cinematography was really cool yeah it was shot really well it, it really you really got a, a sense of like the grimy dirtiness of of gotham they also made it a little artsy like not in a flamboyant type of way but mm. it i think it lent itself to that world yeah where it's like gotham has always been stylized yeah yeah so it, they carried that over into the cinematography for this film too. Mm. You got a sense of like um, Gotham has has always been this uh, talk that Gotham is based off of New York, and they even shot um, they even shot in New York for like the the Christopher Nolan films. This one, I felt like we were looking at New York during like the nineteen eighties when New York was like trash and shitty and everything. Mm. Um, from what I understand. Um, there, I mean, it's, it's it's known that there's like a garbage strike going on in the film. It's not like a spoiler or anything, which kind of lends into the idea of why this place looks so bad. And during that time in New York, there was an actual garbage garbage strike going on. Wow! So it was like a little bit dipped in history. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I think maybe we should just go into the uh, the spoiler segment. Or Wait, did you want to do the news before or after the spoiler? Oh no, let's do the news into let's do the news when we get into the spoiler section. Oh okay, yeah, let's do the spoiler section. Okay, spoilers. Yes. What did you really think about this movie? Fuck this movie. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Okay. We saw it together, right? We usually see everything together. Mm. Usually. Yeah. And I kind of was a little annoyed that we weren't going to be able to really talk about it after because we both came in separate cars and we're both going to leave and that was that. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't fucking know what to say. I know. Like, we both walked out of the theater. Like, normally, when you and I watch a movie, we're, like, within, like, 10 seconds of walking out of the theater, we're, like, going, like, oh, this is great, this is great, this is stupid, this is funny, but we're just going off talking for, like, almost, like, hours. Just talking about what we saw and what what worked, you know? This one, we walked out of the theater kind of quiet, like, we don't know what to think about this because like we know, what did we watch? Yeah, like, you know what it really kind of wanted to be? Mm-hmm. And you weren't really sure if it actually attained it or not? Yeah. At, at that time. Now, yeah. I think now we've had, it's settled in a little bit. Yeah. We've had, a, like, a chance to really think about what it was saying. And then, you know, what do you say about um, storytellers and directors who... Keep their mouth shut. Uh, I don't know what what, what is you, it. Like, the story doesn't need to be um, explained upon, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It doesn't need any anyone to comment 
No, or, no, you know, no like huge exposition dump or anything like that. Yeah, like you drop it and you let it speak for itself and you let the fans talk about it. You yeah. let the fans, like you said, I think you said Kubrick was good for that. Yeah. And I think you even said, someone said that if we have to explain the story to you, then we didn't do our job. Yeah, you know? that was when we were doing our, our Ad Astra review and it was the writer for 2001 Space Odyssey saying, yeah, yeah if we have to explain, if we have to explain it, we didn't do a good job. Right. Yeah. Todd Phillips should have shut his goddamn mouth. Yeah, like, the dude was like... <sighs> like, he... I don't know, he's... I think I think I would have appreciated the film a little bit more if he didn't really, like, kind of hammer it in what he's trying to say about the film. Um, Aronofsky is kind of been at fault at this a couple of times mm. where like he explains too thoroughly what his film's about and not let the critic or the the moviegoer just kind of pick apart what worked and what didn't work you know um it's almost like setting up like you know like when you hear a song and you're like okay this song must be about this and it just kind of lives in your head and you're like that's that, i like that theory but then mm. the songwriter comes out and he's like no the song's about this and you're like well that's completely just fucks up the whole song then yeah exactly and phillips kind of did that when he talked about this movie a little bit in detail. Um, I did. I would have to give Phoenix credit because he actually said that um, he doesn't want you to to relate to the character. Yeah. Which I was like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, like we're not doing our job mm. if this guy is your hero. Yeah, but that's the thing. And then, and then this goes into the controversy that some people are going to see this dude as a fucking hero, and it's all for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, it kind of follows. And from my from my understanding, it kind of follows the Fight Club syndrome, where Fight where when Fight Club came out, people thought it was like a movie about like male masculinity and this is the idea of a perfect man and beat yourself up and everything like that, right? Mm-hmm. But it was really just poking fun at masculinity and what you think is masculinity, and it it flew over so many people's heads. Right. This one was like, I don't know. It 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 it, it didn't do that. It was just like. This is a guy with a gun. He's a whiny little bitch. He, and he that's got it. beat up a lot. Yeah. And he never stood up for himself. Mm-hmm. And then when other people would come to him and say, you know, you're a bad person or you're this, he never said, I did this to defend myself. Yeah. Or anything like mm-hmm. that. He never, either he didn't defend himself or he overdid it mm-hmm. and he never explained anything to anybody yeah he made it kind of like he made it about himself which is kind of goes into like i don't i don't like how this is gonna how this message is gonna relate to other people but and here's when i go about how if if this was not if this was something else it would have been better if he 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 made it about himself which has never been about the Joker. The Joker has always been about chaos and disorder. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to destroy the system. He didn't do. He wasn't like that at all. He wasn't like I want to destroy the system. He just like you guys are poking fun at us. Like that's it. Yeah. And I'm gonna shoot you for that. Like what the fuck? Are you serious, dude? That's the <laughs> fucking movie you're doing. Yeah. Um, 
when I didn't know really who Todd Phillips was mm. and I heard about this movie, I was so excited about the movie because I was like... You were thrilled about this. Because yeah. I was like, this movie's going to be so good because somebody's going to shed a light on how society is behaving towards people. Yeah. And it's going to be a beautiful film and we're going to celebrate it. Yeah. And then I watched it and I'm like, so this guy feels sorry for himself. Yeah, you could tell there are things that are wrong with him. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I guess in that case, you can't even relate to him. Yeah. I mean, you that's the thing. You can relate. You, you can relate to somebody like this. Yeah. If there's a... Um, and, and like I said, Phoenix would say he wanted to make the character relatable. Okay, let me take that back. You can relate to the situation right. that he was going through. Okay? But... The results or even like his place in the situation didn't add anything to it. It just kind of made it made it look like you're just watching a guy getting beat up and being like, he just getting beat up. I don't care. Exactly. So I couldn't relate to him. Mm. I basically got to watch my depression play out on screen. Yeah. Like like the issues that I have with society and, and the lack of support that people like me have. Yeah. Um but you're I, not going to go out and grab a gun and start no, pulling the trigger. of course no. not. I'm going to be like, okay, well, if you don't care about me, then I don't need to speak with you. Yeah. That's it. Like, go on your way. I don't need, I don't need you. Yeah. It, um, yeah, because it, it, this is, this is a straight up, like, incel story. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And he, like, stalked a lady and, like. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about the Zazzy Beats character. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that delusional part because like later on, like the whole his whole arc with Zazzy B's character come to find out it's all in his head and everything. Okay, I would understand if that relationship was there, and if the the last bit of stability in his life that was supposed to be Zazzy Beats was taken away from him, and then mm-hmm. he snapped because everybody has a bad day, everybody snaps. Right. Yeah. But the fact that it was a delusion which he built upon himself, and then that he didn't, the delusion came to reality, and then he took he decided to go fuck all crazy because it wasn't a real reality. Yeah. It's just like okay, dude, you're just straight making it all about yourself now. Like yeah. I don't. That's the thing. The, here, I finally fucking found it. The character was about himself, and I did not give a fuck about that. Yeah. You know, I don't know people who like story. Well, I guess there are people who like stories. Who the character is all about themselves, and I think because they see themselves in that fucking character. That's what I'm saying. It it would have been, it could have been a great film mm-hmm. if it was relatable. Like you could relate to the character. Okay. Like you don't want them to be your hero, but you could relate to where they're coming from. Yeah, or like relate to the situation. Yeah. And it was just him running through the streets in some clown makeup, or like. Yeah, that was a lot of running. Tom Cruise level running. I like contorting his body, which I thought was actually good acting. Yeah, that part I, I really did like the um, the several, uh, I guess, dance scenes, I guess we can call them. Even when it wasn't just dancing, he was looking at himself in the mirror a few times and he would be like, his he would just wouldn't look right. Like the way he was holding his body mm-hmm. and he would hold it that way. And it was like, the lines that you know of a body mm. weren't right. There was something off about it. Um, but it was it kind of lent itself to that character. 
Yeah. Um, what I have to say about those those particular scenes is I like how the the I keep calling them dance scenes. They're like dance. They're number. They're arti- It's like an artistic dance. Like how how people see clowns as like an artistic type of. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not therapeutic. Interpretive dancing. There you go. Oh, okay. It was kind of like that. I took it like that, like interpretive dancing from his point of view. But it was like him kind of like almost like metamorphosing to like this creature that he's more comfortable in. Yeah. And you got a sense of like, oh, I mean, like I'm fully at peace. Even though I just like slaughtered, you know, three, um, three brokers. I mean, they were assholes anyway, but fuck shit. Yeah. Um, but it was him kind of slowly just kind of being built as like okay this is who i am this is who i this is my world this is something i'm stepping into and i'm fine with it i did like how the, each part was kind of escalating i'm not saying the dance was getting crazier but the situations were getting crazier mm-hmm. and, it, and it escalated to like that big riot scene where he started doing it in front of the crowd and mm-hmm. i was like okay cool he's like fully submerged into joker he is now fully joker right which i thought that part thought that was great I thought it was really well. Something tells me that either Philip Phillips either didn't write that or didn't direct that. Because after that, it just kind of starts getting jumbled up. Like, between those scenes, it gets jumbled up like, wait, why am I watching this guy do this now? Yeah. I actually think the best part was when he was on that couch or in that chair talking to De Niro. Oh, De Niro's yeah. character. That was good, too. Yeah. I honestly think that was, like, the best part of the film because it seemed like it was... Maybe a little clever. Mm-hmm. He wasn't uh, as reclusive, I guess. He was a little more comfortable with who he was, and he kind of knew what he wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I was tired of trailing this like guy who didn't know who he was or what he wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and... Well, what did you think about... Um Oh, well, before we leave that, I'll, I'll piggyback on what you're saying about that scene. Um, I got a sense of him kind of really to, really falling into the madness of the character and which each bit of each bit of like words going back and forth with Robert De Niro. You just start seeing more and more of that Joker popping up, mm-hmm. you know, because the Joker, the Joker has been known. He hasn't been known to be having great conversations, but whenever he does like a really good monologue or whenever he actually like tells like this is how society is and I'm just the mirror or I'm just the person to kick it off. It's really great. You know, uh, you know, it reminds me of Dark Knight when jo- when Heath Ledger played Joker. He made some really interesting points of like how we view society, how we view each other. Really great points. Yeah. So this kind of like was that. Which leads me to believe, once again, Todd Phillips probably didn't write that part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that he killed his mother. Does does he actually do that um, in any of the comics? I think there's like another story where he does murder somebody close to him. I don't remember. I think the whole... Thomas Wayne thing. Oh, what do you think of that plot? Because you seem kind of annoyed by that. I will admit to not knowing much about comics, Mm -hmm. but I know enough that Thomas Wayne was someone that Bruce Wayne really looked up to. Mm -hmm. And he's usually not portrayed. He's either mysterious or a really upstanding citizen, Mm -hmm. but never blatantly a fucking prick. I, th- I yeah I think they work too hard to tarnish Thomas Wayne, and like give you the idea that maybe the Waynes are a piece of shit. Yeah. 
I think they work too fucking hard to do that. Um, which is now you have me thinking about it. Irritates me a little bit more because Phillips had said that you know this is this has no um, this origin story has nothing to do with the comics at all. But yet you you're seeing sprinkles of the Alan Moore. Yeah, you're seeing sprinkles of Alan Moore's The Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of Thomas Wayne being a dick. That is a little bit of court, uh, the Court of Owls um, storyline they did in, com- in the Batman comics like two years, three years ago, mm-hmm. which is something similar to that, that Thomas Wayne maybe was a piece of shit. But here, it's just like from, from what you don't know and from what people don't know, they see Thomas Wayne, they're like, wait, why is Thomas Wayne an asshole? Yeah. And then if it's not supposed to be like anything really related to... Th- the Joker and the Batman that we know, mm. why put that name on it? I don't know. That's I, that's why I think that the movie would have done better if it wasn't a Joker movie. It was like an actual story of a man losing his mind. Yeah, I think I would totally dig it. You know, like this, what comes to mind is like Taxi Driver. The character slowly loses his mind and sees the filth of reality in the city around him. And he's like, I want to fuck some shit up because I need to cleanse this fucking place. Right. There's no fucking comic book related shit to that at all. Yeah. Also, this Joker isn't trying to clean anything. He's just seeing how crazy it is out there and he wants to dance and he wants to be noticed and he wants people to think he's so funny. Well, yeah, the Joker is funny. Not this one. (laughs) Yeah, that Joker wasn't funny at all. Like at all. (laughs) Uh, yeah, he even says during the movie that like people are finally noticing me. And I'm just like, fuck, that's not the Joker, dude. The Joker doesn't care to be noticed. The Joker is the Joker is a manifestation of chaos and our anarchy. You know? And I think that's what people are attracted to, like incels and psychos and stuff like that. Yeah. Because he, he wears his character is so mysterious. He wears this makeup. You don't know who he is. So he could be anybody. Yeah, exactly. You know? And here's the Joker. People are noticing me. And I, and they look, they're wearing my mask. Okay. Like, so cool. So let's get to this article then that Todd Phillips said. Uh, yeah, okay. let's, let's talk about that. Todd Phillips apparently left comedy mm-hmm. because woke culture ruined the genre. So he made the Joker. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's no comedies out there like Good Boys, Always Be My Maybe. Booksmart, Bridesmaid, Deadpool 1 and 2, Nice Guys, Jumanji, uh, This is the End, Blockers. You know, no comedies whatsoever. No. Um, I feel like this is a movie about Todd Phillips. Like, a, oh, wow, holy shit. Probably, well, here, let me, see if I can, let me see if I can add to that. Uh, Todd Phillips told Vanity Fair, go try to be funny nowadays in this woke culture. There were articles written about my comedies that don't work anymore. I'll tell you why. Because all the fucking funny guys are like, fuck this shit because I don't want to offend you. So he's what? speaking for everybody, right? Yeah. Nobody's out there trying to make comedies. Mm-hmm. Nobody at all. Like, you didn't just list off a bunch of really funny films. Yeah, like we... we like, were- Good Boys was like, I was thinking about it yesterday. It's mm-hmm. super fucking hilarious. Yeah, and there are, there are scenes where it can be pretty offensive. But it's fucking, it's still fucking hilarious. Yeah, like, you gotta be able to laugh at yourself. It just depends on how you do it. Like, mm-hmm. like me and you joke about race, you know, all the time. Not, like, 
we don't do it like every second of every day. Yeah, and we don't try to do it like malicious or anything. We're just like we will say something in relations like, "Oh yeah, that's why I'm black because this" or something like that. Yeah, but I don't be like crossing any boundaries. Like, oh, you're the N word. Ha 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 ha. Oh no, you get an elbow drop like right in the forehead. Yeah. So like. And then, of course, there are these people who don't know the boundary mm-hmm. and they cross it continually. Like the guy, I don't remember his name, that was going to be on SNL. And then everyone's like, no, he's just a fucking douchebag. So then he lost the, he wasn't hired. Like he lost it before he even got his first show. Yeah. Um, he, from what I heard, uh, from what I heard, he was actually brought on to get more of the conservative viewers to watch SNL because SNL is seen as a very leftist uh, establishment. Yeah, but I feel like if you're the, the conservatives think it's cool to be a dickhead about everything and not have any sense of where the boundaries are. Yeah, the comedian's name is uh, Shane Gillis. That's the comedian who was fired. Over racist comments, uh, from what I remember, they were homophobic comments and comments towards uh, Asian people. Yeah. And it's funny because like they they had just brought on their first Asian cast member, and this and and uh, Shane Gillis, I guess, is known making racist a- Asian comments. Yeah. And there's a way to be clever with your comedy. Like, let's say, for example, "Always Be My Maybe," which is a predominantly Asian comedy. Yeah. It's a rom com, right? And you see Asian things like throughout it. Yeah, I mean, it follows the typical rom-com tropes, but from an Asian perspective, and and you're into the Asian culture, uh, Randall Park and uh, Ali Wong. Mm-hmm. That shit was fucking hilarious, and it was clever and funny as shit. Mm-hmm. Todd Phillips, I I got a sense that Todd Phillips just couldn't be clever with his fucking jokes anymore. No, he wants to be bru- like brutal, basically, and be like, ha-ha, we made fun of you. Yeah. Like Deal he, with it. Yeah, like he likes low-hanging fruit. And then like people are just like, no, that's not funny anymore, dude. Well, okay, I guess I'll make a movie about a clown. He's like Shoot. one of those people that are like, what I don't like is when you see something that someone posts mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, that's cool or that's really great. Someone's like thinking outside the box or they're trying to better themselves and then there's all these people oh my God, that's so brave. You know, like all those people are like, so brave. Mm-hmm. You know, I I feel like he's like that. Like he's, you know, he couldn't do the thing that he wanted to do. So he did something else to be controversial and like, look at me. That's why I'm saying the Joker is a story about him. Yeah, he probably felt like... He so- got beat up by the media and he just wants to be who he wants to be. Yeah. And... um, This was his outlet. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can totally see. That. I didn't even think about that until you just mentioned it. Um, I didn't think about it until I just mentioned it too. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how shit like that comes up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I there are a lot of people who do like this film. There are several people who just don't know what to make of this film. Um, I don't know, like. Another thing that like I have to mention is like the movie is like almost two hours. It took like a good hour for me even to be invested in the story. Same. Yeah, like the first like the first like maybe five or ten minutes when they were introducing the character, his world, the shit he's got to get into. I'm like, okay, cool. We're getting a, we're getting an idea of where the Joker came from, you know, where Arthur Fleck came from. And then as the movie started progressing, I'm just like, damn, how many times you got to beat this dude up? Like we get it. 
we fucking get it, man. There's that. And then there's like all these interactions he had with people that they're like, don't fucking talk to me or don't talk to my kid. Like mm. the bus scene where yeah. that little kid thought he was funny. Yeah. And he's like making him laugh and stuff. And the mom's like, don't bother my kid. Yeah. If somebody doesn't want you talking to their kid, they have every right. Doesn't matter if you're making them laugh yeah. or not. Like, I don't like it when people talk to my kids sometimes. Yeah, you don't like when I talk to your kids either. No, because, you know. And I don't like talking to them. I'm afraid for you when you talk to them. Oh, God. Um. <laughs> then I'm going to get a gun and start shooting people. <laughs> um, I I just think, like, that, that sends the wrong message, <laughs> honestly. Uh. I don't care about this guy wanting to talk to this kid. Mm. It was kind of a little fucked up, but at the same time, like, that woman looked like she was just trying to mind her own business mm. and she was hardworking and she had this kid and she just wanted everyone to leave them alone. Yeah. Like that's her right. Yeah. There was, um, there was something I saw on Twitter that I thought was really funny because people are saying about how this film is about like the disenfranchise and all that kind of stuff. And there was, um, something that popped up that I thought was really funny on how this film is okay so there there's there are other films that are very thoughtful and and uh, what's it called empathetic towards certain class mm-hmm. you know like the lower class like they they kind of like try to talk about that in this film about how the lower class it's against the Wayne's family and the rich and all that kind of stuff which mm-hmm. was cool they were like kind of, they were teetering into that. I was like, cool, we're getting a message. We're getting the reason why Gotham's losing their fucking mind. But then it would just go back to the Joker and him getting the attention he wants. Yeah. So the films that, um, that come to mind is Us, High Flying Bird, the Steven Sonnenberg film that was really great. Um, the, Last Black on, the Last Black Man on Earth, which is about gentrification. Mm-hmm. Uh, spo- uh, what's that movie? Um, not Spotlight, God. Blind Spotting. Yeah, disenfranchised, yeah. great fucking parasite. We saw parasite. Sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. We saw par- parasite. We saw the Bong Joon Ho film Parasite last week. We're gonna talk about that uh, for a later episode. Great film about how the rich view the poor. Mm-hmm. These films are great on that story. And then we get the fucking Joker, who just like, you don't I, think I'm cool or funny? Yeah, or like you're not paying attention to me. No one pays attention to me. So yeah. here's my gun. <laughs> I, I, I think, and I, I think what we're, what we're pretty much trying to say is that's the biggest problem with the film. The message. We don't know what the fucking message is. And then from what we get, it's a stupid fucking message that doesn't make any fucking sense. Or, exactly. Or loses its um, momentum. You get a sense that the world is falling apart mm. and you, you know it's for a good reason. Mm. And you know there's a message there, and then it's overlaid by this middle-aged white man with his woe-is-me story. Yeah, exactly. Um, And that's basically what this movie is. And, you know, I think that middle-aged man would be Todd Phillips. (laughs) It should be called, not Joker, it should just be called Phillips. (laughs) Directed by Todd Phillips. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, other than that, we, you know, the, the... Pros, we did like, what was that? 
Nothing. Oh, I'm just already excited for our next segment. Okay, so yeah, you're already like, <laughs> I'm checking out. I'm checking out. So yeah, the pros, Joaquin Phoenix directing. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix acting is fucking phenomenal. Amazing. Cinematography is really good. Soundtrack's even not too bad, too. I kind of dug the soundtrack. Some of it was all right. So, like, some of it was okay. Some of it was, I think I heard one or two songs that I was like, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's just like, damn, dude. Like, why did you make this fucking movie? Yeah. Like, where are you getting it? And this is this is supposed to be the first film in the new type of, like, DC films where they make standalone films now. There's no, like, connected universe. Yeah. So... Which doesn't make any fucking sense. It's like you didn't do a good job with the connected ones, so you're going to do something completely different and still suck at it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and the funny thing is, like, the connected... They, they still try to make a connected universe because how the Joker was a, one of the reasons why the Waynes died. Mm-hmm. Or his or his actions were the reason. I was like, dude, like, why did you fucking do that? Like, stop. I hate that. I fucking hate that. They've done it once before in Tim Burton's Batman where the Joker, when he was known as... Uh, Jack Napier killed the Waynes and then there's that connection with Batman and then they, they did it a second time. I fucking hate when they do that. Like, don't do that. Just make the character mysterious as shit. Yeah. Let's keep it like that, you know. Ah, fuck this movie. <laughs> <laughs> fuck it. Come on, let's go to the next segment. We're done with the shit. Woo! Okay, next segment called What the Fuck Did, I ju- did We Just Watch? <laughs> All right. We have something called The Karate Rap. Yes. Uh, this is the thing that I was showing you yesterday, and you watched the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's hold up before we go into it. Let's let's go and do a little bit of uh, let's do a little snippet. Let's do a little snippet. I walk the streets. I have no fear. I always know my karate is near. I never have to fight, and I'll tell you why. No one wants to fight with a samurai. I'm a samurai, and that's better yet. I got the kicks, got the punches, the intuitive hunches. I just want to mention to release the tension. Karate, train your body. I train for fun. I'm a shogun. All right. <laughs> Are your ears bleeding yet? Or are they bleeding yet? <laughs> Look, I saw this posted in a group. Mm-hmm. What? What? Did you? Was it some group like inspired by the Joker? They just like chaos. They like to torture people. You know, it's the group that you brought me into. Nirvagalipsa. Yeah. Oh wait, you brought that? You found it from that group? Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. All right. Continue. All right. Continue. Continue. Um. So. It is a film about. You mean the, the the song, you mean? Yeah, the song. Uh, the song has a video. It has a video. Mm-hmm. I encourage you to watch it so I can, you know, bathe in your, in your suffering. mind-numbing pain. Yeah, we'll, we'll post a link to the fucking video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's about karate, and it's, you know, white people rapping. What's the name of the song? The Karate Rap. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was written by David Seeger and Holly Woodstock Seeger. So apparently they're either related, like brother and sister, or they're married. Or both. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to read some of the lyrics, or at least a tidbit of the lyrics? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, while Kelsey looks this up, let me give you a little bit of explanation. It's this dude, the, song, the title of the song says what it's about. It's the karate rap. It's rapping about karate in the most monotone, 
horrible rhythmic type of way. These two white folks are just talking about the glories <laughs> of karate. This is definitely white people. Yeah. Um, all right. This is this is what I want to point out here. Okay. Now I'll tell you why no one wants to fight with a samurai or the samurette, and that's better yet. I've got the kicks, got the punches, the intuitive hunches. I just want to mention to release the tension. Karate, train your body. Oh, shit. <laughs> Hold on, let me read some of this. That I am just a punk with a li- lot of spunk, but don't get on my case. Don't mess with me. Don't give me your, don't give her, don't give her any hassle and she'll let you be. Karate train your body. Here is the moral of the story. Karate means never say you're sorry. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Got a karate life with my karate wife. <laughs> Two karate kids in our karate home. A karate dog. It's got a karate bone. Karate. Hold on, your body. Hold on. The karate bone part. You in the video, you see a dog swinging a nunchuck with his mouth. <laughs> that's a karate. That's uh, that's a bone. Where, where, did, did they write about some fucking bird karate bird or something? Oh shit? yeah, it was a karate. Um... Oh, I found it. I found it. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Okay. Cur- okay. <laughs> oh my god. It's time. Okay. In time, it changes your mind. I've got a parakeet. He's a karate bird. When he chirps the tweet around the block, he's heard. Karate train your body. <laughs> I'm the sensei, so stay away. Or a brother. <laughs> Make my day. Oh my god. This so <laughs> we were driving Kelsey was driving and she was like, hey, I want you to see this video. And she puts this video on my lap. And I'm just staring at it, wide eye, mouth agape, not saying a goddamn word. <laughs> Like, what is the and, and it's long too. It's like four fucking minutes or some shit like that. Exactly. And it just and like those lyrics that we were reading, there are very small breaks in those lyrics, and they're just going, 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 going nonstop. Exactly. It's horrendous. It's yeah, it's very And memorize and mesmerizing too. Like how could anyone how could anyone just how could anyone? That's it. How yeah. could anyone? Yeah, they took, and it wasn't like it didn't. It wasn't cheap. They took time, edits, direction, different settings, special effects, <laughs> all this shit <laughs> to make this fun. It wasn't like it wasn't like this couple in their living room, like, hey, let's put a camera around here and let's do a karate rap. No, it's like watching a fucking music video from the eighties. They even have like dancing. Like, there's one time where they're talking about train your body, mm-hmm. and all these people in karate uniforms are, like, bent over at the waist with their butts yeah, in the air. That's correct. There's what even the like, fuck is that? There's even a couple of times where, like, you see, like, they'll start rapping, and some guy will go, Yah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> the sound effects are the best. <laughs> yeah. And, like, run, he's, like, running towards the camera, and then, like, that's it. Like, why did we just watch that? And then there's like, he writes about being a ninja. He's, he's totally a ninja. Totally. You can so, tell. This shit's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. You know what? Animal abuse for being in the film. PETA. No, all PETA's going to do is take that animal and kill it. 
Yeah, you don't know about PETA? PETA's, no. PETA's a bunch of fucking assholes. PETA bread is really good. PETA, the organization, is shit. Mm. Mm. You have anything else to say on the karate rap? <laughs> Train your body. That's what I have to say. Oh, actually, wait. Before we leave, I just remember. There's a woman who reminds me of, of my cat. I have a cat who likes to lay on his back. And my cat's fat. Karate. <laughs> There's a scene where the woman's like rolling around all seductively and sexily and just like, you want this karate body? And as soon as I saw it, I was like, wow, that's my cat. Why is my cat looking like that? That's so <laughs> fucking weird. Maybe my cat's giving me like signals and I'm just totally weirded out by it now. I can't be in the same room as my cat. <laughs> uh, no, wait, wait, wait. No, she says... Well, I've trained karate around the world. I'm known all over as Karate Girl. I'm witty. I'm pretty. Got the female smarts. So listen to our rap about the martial arts. There's that. Karate. There was something else that I saw, too. Mm. Oh, there's even a dude in the karate. <laughs> he like the, the, the karate guy. He even walks out of a shower with a towel wrapped around him. But it's like a skippy towel uh-huh. with a black belt. <laughs> He has a black belt karate towel. towel? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, hold up. Karate train your body all the time. I've walked the streets. I have no fear. I always know my karate is neat. That's what I was gonna that's what I was looking for. <laughs> my karate is near. Hey y'all. My karate is near. My karate is near. I, I never have to fight. Now I'll tell you why. No one wants to fight with a samurai or a samurette. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and get out of here, please. We've tortured you enough. Shit. I've been tortured enough. <laughs> Ichni Sanchi Karate. Okay. Can we please get out of here now? <laughs> All right. Geriatric Cinematic. The thing that I know that Mark has been wanting to talk about, taxi driver. De Niro. In Bang the Drum Slowly, the critics called him a brilliant new talent. After Mean Streets, they said he was a genius. For his performance in The Godfather Part Two, they gave him the Academy Award. Come on, Mitch. Just get me out of here, all right? Now, Robert De Niro creates a terrifying portrait of life on the edge of madness. Tabby, just forget about this. It's nothing. Taxi Driver, a film by Martin Scorsese. That was made in 1976, directed by Martin Scorsese, who did Goodfellas, Casino, if you don't know him. You know, even I know who he is, so what's wrong with you? Mm. Uh, Written by Paul Schrader. The synopsis is a mentally unstable veteran works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City, where the perceived decadence in sleaze feels his urge for violent action by attempting to liberate a presidential campaign worker and an underage prostitute. Okay. This sounds like Joker, but done right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry. Continue, continue. Um, it stars Robert De Niro as Travis Bickle. Uh, Jodie Foster, she plays a 13-year-old prostitute. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sybil Shepard, I have never seen her before in my life, but I feel like she's like the most beautiful woman in the entire world. A lot of people felt that way when she was in Hollywood. Yeah. When she was coming up, yeah. Um, and Albert Brooks, who played Tom, which I don't know who that is. He was the guy, he was Sybil Shepard's friend, the guy with the, the, the little bald. fro. No, the guy with the fro guy. 
Remember, I, remember I pointed oh, out. Oh, that guy. Yeah, that, I had to put Albert Brooks because Albert Brooks is like a great like comedian actor, a comedy actor. All right. Um, let me say what I thought about this. Yeah, movie. I want to hear your opinion on it because you've never watched this movie, and I know you've probably heard about it, and you're not familiar with Scorsese's work, but I want to hear your opinion on it. Okay. I feel like it was better than Joker. Mm-hmm. It did a lot of the same things that Joker was meant to do mm. without pissing people off by trying to be something it's not. Yeah. Um, I thought it was gorgeous in a lot of ways, but I did not need to hear the same jazz music for two <laughs> hours straight. <laughs> I like that jazz music. I mean, it, no, I liked it for yeah. like maybe the first 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. But then after that, I'm like, okay, I get it. Um, I just felt like it kind of went on kind of long. And like, so I was interested for maybe two thirds of it. And Mm -hmm. that last third, I was like, please shoot me because I'm tired of watching this now. Yeah, the the movie is a good um, like hour and 53 minutes. Um, I will I will agree with you on that, that sometimes the um, it kind of does feel like it's dragging on or it is kind of repeating itself. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of parts where he's just driving around, like just mm. driving around. There's no narration. It's just him driving around. Some, I mean, that's not the worst part for me, though. Like, mm. I'm okay with that because you could see his eyes in the rearview mirror. That I like. I thought those shots were really dope. And his eyes, like, told a lot about his mental state mm. in every in each and every one of those scenes. Yeah. But when people are talking to him and he's not there. Yeah. That's okay sometimes. I don't feel like it's okay all the time. Yeah. And he did it a lot. Yeah. Um, I thought, like, because, like, the movie starts with his eyes. You see his eyes. Yeah. And I think that was, that had to be, on, oh, obviously, that was on purpose for Scorsese because he wants you to focus on his eyes because you can really see his, um, the level of, like, uh, what's it called? Disintegration of his mind, of his of what's going on in his head. Right. Um, like, there's one particular scene that, um, you and I were talking about where um, he's kind of he's he's slowly starting to really lose it, and he's talking to that secret service, uh, that secret service man. Yeah, and you can tell like when he's like looking up at the guy and talking to him, you're like something's really wrong with this dude. Yeah, exactly. Which is great. That was like great. That was great how that was shot because it said so much without the dialogue between what's going on between the two. Because you were just focusing. You like I don't I don't even remember the dialogue. I just remember how he was acting. Yeah, he was like trying to copy him. Yeah, he was shorter than him. He was just staring up at him, smiling, mm-hmm. and like, I thought he was actually going to give him his actual address. Yeah, and then he gave him a zip code for New Jersey that started with a six, and I'm like, no, that's not a, that's not a New Jersey zip code. I thought it was nine or something like that. Nine? Yeah, I thought he started the zip code with nine. No, he started with a six. What's and but nine is California. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That's 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 what kind of made me think. Like, why does he give him a California zip code? But you said like it's not even a Jersey zip code to even begin with. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you? This is considered one of Robert De Niro's best performance ever in film. Mm. What did you think about his? I mean, we kind of touched a little bit, but what did you think about his why performance? Why do people say that about the most monotone fucking parts? I don't know. I, I why like they were saying that shit about Brad Pitt and Ad Astra too. Yeah, that's true. And I'm like, guys, like you can like someone's writing and think the part is great and not think that the 
person who did it really added anything to it. And I really don't mm. think he added that much to it. Well, at the monotone parts, maybe. I thought he started adding more to it when he, you can... Um, his the way he the way how he's speaking his inflections I guess were changing going in and out like how he was um, interacting with Sybil Sybil Shepherd's character and how he was thrilled that they were going on a date and he was just like um, he was writing his journal I really like her she's beautiful oh Betsy what's her last name blah 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 you could tell like the his voice had changed yeah but then like when the breakup happened you're, he's just like back to the monotone yeah I don't know I don't anyone could have done that. Really? I really feel like anyone could have done it. Do you think Dustin Hoffman would have done it? I think he probably could have done it. Because Scorsese did approach uh, Dustin Hoffman and said, I want you to play in this role. And Dustin Hoffman was like, no, I don't want to do that. And he's regretted that decision ever <laughs> since. <laughs> what about Burt Reynolds? I think he probably would have been more interesting to watch. Really? Burt Reynolds as his character? Yeah. I think he would try to make it funny. It probably would have been funny. But that's the, the movie's not supposed to be funny. Not funny, like intentionally funny, but and not even like intention, unintentionally funny like The mm. Room, mm. but like... Like... Like weird funny? Like weird awkward funny, funny? Like it's funny. You're laughing at it because it's awkward, mm. but it's good awkward too. You know? Gotcha. Like how, okay. unfortunately, like people with mental disabilities get laughed at. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Type. Yeah. I think it would have been... I actually wouldn't mind seeing that version of Burt Reynolds in the role. I think it would actually would have challenged him as an actor. Because Burt Reynolds is known as, like, this really fun guy. You know, um, the the bandit films and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until, like, his later on in his years that, like, his acting really picked up. Like, for example, Boogie Nights. Uh-huh. His, his acting is phenomenal in that. And he's not funny at all. Mm. He's serious. He, I think he, I believe he got nominated for an Oscar for that role. I almost would have liked to see maybe Jack Nicholson or... I think Jack Nicholson would have been too telling. Because you see Jack Nicholson, you're just like, that dude's crazy. Off the bat. <laughs> or, uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Who, what was From Lethal Weapon. Mel Gibson? Yeah. Huh. That would have been interesting. Mel Gibson in that role? Yes. I don't know if he was of age at that time because this film, what was it, came out in 1960? No, oh, 76. Yeah. Maybe. He might have been a, he might have been in his early 20s. I think he was in Australia making sitcoms. Maybe. Yeah, because his you know, big thing is Matt. Maybe, damn, that's really interesting. Mel Gibson is that role. It's not bad. It's not that I don't like Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. I just. You think that he could have. He... he was boring. Okay. I don't see Mel Gibson as a crazy... I mean, Mel Gibson. I don't see Robert De Niro as a crazy guy. Mm-hmm. I don't think he plays crazy that well. I think he plays mafia guy well, like that kind of crazy. And that doesn't exactly relate to this very well. I think he does do crazy well. Like, tone down crazy. Taking time bomb crazy. Um, I got to show you Cape Fear. He is fucking nuts in that. Like, actual nuts. Well... Another Scorsese film. Maybe it's just because... Maybe he was just not written... Like, I don't. I think he's a great actor. I love Robert De Niro. Yeah. You just think like maybe he was too... Maybe it bland? wasn't... Yeah, it was bland. And too I don't bland. know if it was how it was written or how he was acting. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. And even the direction was great, but yeah. like, it just droned on. Okay. Yeah, I can I can see that because like it, you know, like it's like we said earlier, there are scenes where it kind of kind of goes on a little too long. But uh, like, there are certain there are gems in this though. Mm-hmm. It's not like I don't hate the film. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't watch it again. Mm-hmm. Really, you wouldn't watch it. Again? I wouldn't watch it again because I was so bored out of my mind by the end of it. I'm like, I want to cry. Oh wow, shit. Um. But I liked seeing his eyes at different points or yeah. like. Or his different haircuts that were. I was really off. interested in his choice to drive away the first time Jodie Foster's character wanted to get into the cab. Yeah, the young prostitute. And yeah. instead of dealing with that then, mm-hmm. it worked on him. And then his decision to go back and find her later. Mm-hmm. Like, I found that interesting. Mm, okay. Um, I think that kind of goes to how Jodie Foster was maybe seen as a plan B. Because um, you can tell he wanted to... You got a sense of him trying to be a hero or yeah. trying to do something right. Because he, you know, he didn't like how, how New York was. He saw it as filth and all that, all that shit, right? Yeah. I think that uh, Sybil Shepard's character was supposed to be seen as like his, him to be his hero, him her to be somebody for him to take care of mm-hmm. and when that fell through he was like i gotta find this young girl that obviously was in trouble that's like the obvious choice to be a hero right yeah even like he even tried to like be a uh to make a difference because remember he was even thinking about like helping the uh that presidential candidate mm-hmm. and once that Sybil shepherd uh connection was cut off he was like, okay, well, I got to go find another reason to exist. Um, what I did like about that, though, is at the very end when um, she calls a taxi and, like, she wants him to be her taxi driver. She's like, hello, like, how are you? And he's yeah. like, yeah, I'm fine. And then she's like, uh, what did she say? She wanted him to come in or she wanted to talk to him again? or Yeah, she got out of the cab and she seemed like she wanted to... <clears throat> I don't know, maybe reconcile what they had or what they were going through and that, that he was just like, nah, I'm not feeling Yeah, he's like, no, like, I'm glad you're doing well. Bye. Like, he was already over it with her because he got what he needed with Jodie Foster's character. Um, spe- okay, so speaking of that, because there's, like, you know, this movie's been around for decades and there's all these theories about what the movie meant or what was it trying to say. Um, Scorsese, um, Scorsese has taken an effect that several critics believe that what you see him getting in the cab or the scene you see him get in the cab and there's uh, Sybil Shepherd's character, him driving off and all that stuff. Supposedly that was like a dying dream because like the, the, the sequence of events kind of don't add up. So there's, th- there's been a theory going around that that never happened. And uh, Scorsese and Paul Schrader has both said, no, that's not the case. The case is that, despite of what happened to him, uh, this is a quote from Schrader. He said, Travis is not cured by the movie's end and that he's not going to be a hero next time. Mm. So that maybe he's going to blow up again. Um, Schrader has gone on also to say uh, the reason why it's shot like that is um, you can actually, if you edit it differently, you can actually take the ending and put it back at the beginning and then play it forward and it'll just recycle itself all over again mm-hmm. like a constant loop so you're so the Robert De Niro's character is destined 
to lose his fucking mind. Yeah. Which I thought that I, I, I could see. That. I didn't I didn't know this beforehand, but before watching it again. But I can totally see that now. Yeah. It totally makes fucking sense. Because you always got a sense of like something was still wrong with him. Then he released the pressure, but it's going to build again. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, even like um, after the events of the, the whole bloody scene, you know, he's like joking with his friends and everything. And it kind of goes back to the beginning where he's joking with his friends again. Yeah. But it's still something wrong with him. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but they don't really play up his military background mm-hmm. that much. Yeah, they don't. And I think, I think it's kind of like a tired thing. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it really drives home, like, this is what's wrong with him. Like in Rambo, mm-hmm. the first one. Yeah. I really like that they were really like, hey, he was in the military. He is trying to figure himself out. Yeah. Like, this guy is just weird. Yeah, like uh, how Rambo was trying to find his place, so was uh, De Niro's character was trying to find his place. Yeah. Um, I think, I honestly think that, that the reason why they had the military background is because it was kind of of the time. Yeah. You know, people were coming back from Vietnam. They've done their time. They're just like, I'm, I don't know where I'm at right now in this world. Yeah. And I think that's why they, they still had that military background. I mean, the, 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 the tidbit of military background, <clears throat> but, um, I think maybe if they played it up a little bit, I think that would have added more layers to it. I think so too. Um, <clears throat> Then the other thing I wanted to say is that the, I don't know if it's just the cynic in me. Mm-hmm. Jodie Foster's character did not want to be saved. Yeah. Totally. But, uh, yeah. And, I, and I'm like, and I think that makes it super realistic. I'm like, cool. Like she's a super smart teenage girl. Mm-hmm. Totally not doing something that anyone else really wants to. Some people like doing that, but mm. like, this isn't something that she should be doing. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. And especially not at her age. And he's like, hey, you know, you should go back to your parents. She's like, no, I hate it there. Mm-hmm. And that she ends up back there anyways because he saved her, air quotes. He saved her. Yeah. And she's back in a, you know, in the life that she absolutely hates that she ran away from the first time. And they're saying, like, they alluded to the fact that maybe they had her committed or something. Really? Because they said we've taken steps to make, ensure. Oh yeah, yeah. That she that had never, she can never run away again. I think he. Well, I think he said um, we make sure that she had, has no reason to run away again. I think he said that. But the committed thing, I never thought about that. But that's interesting. He. That's possible. Like maybe they had her committed, or mm. even at that time, I think they were still doing lobotomies. Around seventy. Oh shit! That'd be a dark ass fucking ending. Come to find out, she got a, she got lobotomized, and that's how she could never get out i think i think i think that's true because um or what you said is true because when they showed a picture of the parents in the news clipping mm-hmm. they look like very old-fashioned you follow what mom and dad are, no you follow what the dad is saying no no um no women's liberation at all yeah because um joey foster's character talked about almost talking about how her 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 situation is actually freeing She's more in control of her sexuality. Mm-hmm. And even Robert De Niro is just like, no, these guys are whoring you out. You're a prostitute. But she's like, I don't get hit. I don't get treated like shit. I just have a little bit of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, take, I guess maybe taking that away if you know, when she's saved and put back with her family, that's just that you take that all away. You're just going to, the person's going to kind of maybe go back to that lifestyle again. Exactly. 
Yeah. What would you have a little bit of info on Jodie Foster, uh, Foster in that role? She wasn't the first choice. Uh, Carrie Fisher was a runner-up. Princess Leia herself. <laughs> uh, I think she would have been great in that role, too. That would have been interesting, too. Damn. Um, a few other people. Uh, Bo Derek, Kim Cattrall, Rosanna Arquette. Michelle Pfeiffer. Really? Michelle Pfeiffer. That you said Kim Cattrall? Kim Cattrall. Isn't she a rapper or a singer? Or no, Kim shit? Cattrall's from Six Feet Under. Who's that? I mean, Six Feet Under. Oh, God. Sex in the City. Oh, okay. Yeah, a rapper. What? What a rapper. Or her name comes up in like a Eve rap song or something. Oh, probably. Um, Melanie Griffith uh, was supposedly going to play Iris. Um, Meryl Streep. She, uh, I think she wanted the role, but she didn't get it. She was going through a bunch of shit at that time. Who, Meryl Streep? Yeah, because I know that, because she's awkward looking. Like when she was younger, Mm. to most people, she didn't fit the Hollywood stereotype. Yeah. I mean, she's not an ugly woman by any means, but she just doesn't fit what the stereotypes are. Here we go. She turned down the role. Oh. She turned down the role. I'm glad that she didn't. Because I think Meryl, she would have overacted that that movie. She might have. Mm. Uh, what would you have thought of Glenn Close? No. 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 What about Sigourney Weaver? That would have been okay. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Uh, Angelica Houston? Mm, she might have overacted it, too. I think she would have tried to make it too dark. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I like how they got Sybil, Sybil Shepherd to play this role because she was very, she was an independent woman, but she was still kind of like flirtatious. I got a real sense of like, she's in control of her sexuality straight up. Yeah, like she was intrigued by unconventional things. Mm. That actually really bothered me about this story too, is that she's kind of stringing her coworker along. Oh, Albert Brooks? Yeah. Then this guy is staring at her all the time from the mm-hmm. taxi cab, mm. and he's weirding her out, but then she wants to talk to him, mm. and she knows she's going into this fucking dirty film movie theater, <laughs> Yeah. so she pretty. goes with him anyway and then gets all offended, and then she's like, no, you're, you know, I didn't like that movie. I'm not that kind of a woman, Yeah. but she totally is. Yeah, but I think it has to be on her on her watch. Well, she could have said no from the beginning. She knew she was going in there. Uh, she could have said, "No, I'm really not into that." Oh, maybe she thought it was. Uh, and this kind of comes off. This I'm paying her naive. Maybe she thought it was like not as bad as you know she was thinking it was. It's a dirty film. You know, it's a dirty film. Mm. It's a dirty film. It's a dirty film. I did like. Um, we're talking about Albert Brooks's character. I think he was he was like the obvious choice to be the good guy. Like, oh, like, you know, the guy. <clears throat> uh, the, uh, guy the guy that you can rely on that, you know, is always going to be a constant. Yeah. You know, the guy who you're going to have in the friend zone off, you know, from the beginning. Yeah. You know, this is like a friend zone before the friend zone term was invented. And of course, she sees like this weird, mysterious taxi driver staring at her from across the street and like that guy's interesting and that's how women like that end up in a fucking trash can cut up (laughs) (laughs) um i did this goes into uh 
what Albert Brooks as a, a comedy actor. He does great um, uh, dramatic performance as well, but the scene where Robert De Niro is approaching, has approached Sybil Shepherd, and he's just like, I like you, I want to take you on the date, can I take you up for coffee and everything? And how you see Albert Brooks is in the background, just like eagle eyeing that shit, just watching her from a yeah. distance. And it's like so funny because it's, it's supposed to be like background noise, but he sticks out like a sore thumb yeah. in a very comedic sense and a very like in a time where it should, it should be like either sweet, romantic or kind of unnerving. Uh-huh. And I absolutely love that scene. Every time I watch them, I, I started laughing. Yeah, I, I like that scene, too, because, you know, it's like he's like, what's going on? Because I like her. Yeah. So she better not go out with this guy. Yeah. And then, of course, he becomes the, the brave hero, like shooing off Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro is like, I'll fucking kill you. I'll fucking kill you. He's like. Yeah, I'll, I'll fight you right now. You know, like, damn, our well, boys would have got murdered right there on the spot. Yeah. Um, what did you... One of the biggest controversies of this film is uh, is the level of violence, even though there's only, like, six people that actually die in the film. Oh, is it because uh, of all the blood? Yeah, about all that blood. Um, Scorsese was actually worried that the MP, MPA, sorry, the MPAA was going to give the film an X-rated. An oh wow! Setting. Yeah, surprisingly, when um, he turned it in, they were just—he found out like they changed up their rules, and it was just like, "Oh, just change this, this, this," and then that's what happened. So we huh. got the film. So, what did you think about the controversy of the violence in near the end of the movie? Because it's a—it's essentially well, a bloodbath. Basically, what you're telling me is that they had to change it to fit the rating. So I didn't see mm. exactly what would have made it x-rated for that time um but i thought it was good Mm. like there was like the right amount of blood there was like a realistic amount of blood too yeah exactly um i thought it was great he got shot in the neck and he didn't yell like everyone seems to fucking do you've been on a tear about that whenever we watch like a certain movie like especially last week when you were talking about rambo and how people getting hit in the neck you're just like that's what, why are you screaming? I'm glad I showed you a movie where it was realistic. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the only one. I know there was one other film that did that shit. Uh, well, from, from what I remember, we talked about in the last Rambo and then uh, Rambo 2. Oh, okay. First Blood Blood 2. Maybe it was both of the Rambo movies. Yeah. Um, what did you think of... I think this is the beginning of Scorsese's love for track shots. What do you think about that track, that, that over track shot where you just see the bodies... And you just see the camera just following the hallway and stuff like that. I don't think it added anything to it. Oh, okay. I really don't. It was too dark, mm-hmm. so you couldn't really see much anyway. Okay. Um, I mean, you could see the trail of blood. I guess that's what they were getting at. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't... It was like, all right, like I already saw the shocking scene. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, if we were following the cops in and seeing mm-hmm. their reaction, but yeah. not coming out after okay um so i didn't really think that really added a whole lot um you know one thing that did i've just i thought about it a few minutes ago and now i remember again um Mm -hmm. why the hell was martin scorsese in this film because he's martin scorsese no that's why total dick move why what did it add it it added it added the type of people that um, that De Niro's character has encountered because like he has said about the filth and trash that have picked him that he's picked up. I think this this puts it into perspective. This dude 
Scorsese's character is talking about like seriously murdering his wife because she's having an affair with a black guy, which he calls a nigger, like right there on screen. Mm-hmm. And how he's just like he goes into detail like. You ever, you ever fired a forty-five? You know what a forty-five does? You ever shot a forty-five in a woman's face? It's going to be a brutal mess. Brutal mess. You ever shot him in the pussy? Oh, it's beautiful. It's fucking, I think it adds a level of like, it adds a level of what Robert De Niro's character deals with. And he's just like, this is so much fucking filth. Filth was literally in the back of my fucking car talking to me. Yeah. I think that's what it added to it. And I think Scorsese did it perfectly because that's how he is. No, he Talk. did a great job. Like mm-hmm. that he... Went from a really normal looking dude to fucking super nutso and shit. Yeah, oh. and you, it was like in his eyes. Oh yeah. Um, so that was great, but I mean, like, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, okay, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Maybe that's what Tarantino. Maybe that's where Tarantino got it from. Another thing. <laughs> another thing he stole. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess, but there was enough already to be seen that I don't know that that really needed that. Ah, I got you. I got you. And he didn't react. He just kept looking at the guy Mm -hmm. and then looking at the window and looking at the guy. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, When he's, when that scene with Scorsese happens, does that happen before or after he meets the presidential candidate? After. Okay. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it speaks about how that scene where De Niro is talking to that presidential candidate mm-hmm. and then how the guy is interested in hearing what De Niro's character has to say. But as soon as De Niro starts saying, there's so much filth and needs to be washed away, the right man needs to do it. And he starts talking crazy. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it was. And then how like that candidate is just like, whoa, holy shit. Give him the, like this weird look like this guy's pretty intense. Maybe it was like. De Niro's characters in the, with the Scorsese scene, maybe that was him seeing himself right there. So maybe that's maybe that's why they did it. That's I'm, that's my interpretation. No, but he wouldn't it. have seen himself if he was seeing filth because he doesn't see himself as filth. filth. Yeah, he sees himself as the cleanser. Yeah. Also, yeah. Um, I have to ask your opinion on the classic scene. Are you talking to me? Totally hyped up. Oh, okay. Because everyone says it, like, when they say it, like, how would you say it if you were saying it? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Everyone else is like, are you talking to me? You know, like. Yeah. You know, like, they're all, like, angry and shit. That's what I thought it was. And he's all, like, anticlimactic and shit. So, it's not what I expected it to be. And I'm a little disappointed. But at the same time. He's just talking to himself like a fucking crazy person, but it also doesn't come off crazy enough. Okay. I I have to admit that I used to do shit like that. Not like, are you talking to me? But I would, and I'm sure everybody does this, where they have a conversation that they wish played out differently. And this is how the conversation would have went. Or, I wish some guy would be some would try to fight me. This is how I would react to that. This is how I would, this is what I would say. My, my, my film quotes and my badass quotes. So when he did that, I was just like, damn, I remember doing that when I was young. Holy <laughs> shit. So I, I still love that scene. I think that speaks into the level of masculinity that the character believes he has, mm-hmm. you know, 
especially like the obvious phallic fucking gun he has. That's way too fucking big. The hand cannon he has. Yeah. It's very machismo. Like, look at the size of my dick. Yeah. Kind of thing. So that's why, that's why I wanted to bring up that particular scene and see what you, what you thought about that. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was all right. <laughs> that's it, that's it, your but I don't it think right. it's not something that I would pick out like, oh yeah, that was a great fucking iconic scene mm-hmm. because he was just like, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Yeah, not like like. Hey, are you talking to me? Like, well, he did that. Like, I, no, I, he didn't. He was just yeah, like, he does. Like at that part where he's like, nobody's here. Are you sure you're talking to me? But and he, he kind of like still <laughs> really monotone. There was like no oh, feeling. Okay. It was just like, I'm I'm the only one here. You must be talking to me. Oh, okay. You know, like so it's like so 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 from what I'm understanding, this is the monotoneness of how his delivery was just kind of like a. Um, was seen as a real negative on from your view. From my view, yeah, because okay. I gotta. You're not interesting. <laughs> you're just a boring person that talks to themselves. Mm-hmm. Like everyone does that all the time. Yeah, he would have made it worse if he put on clown makeup. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the film is considered. Um, the AFI Institute ranked it as number 52. That's the number. I, I think I said 27 earlier. It's number 52 of greatest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, here's Okay, so I didn't know this. Uh, Oliver Stone, he actually believes that he was the model of Travis Bickle, Robert De Niro's character. <clears throat> he points out that... Uh, he was a student of Scorsese's class at the New York University uh, Film School, uh-huh. and that at the time, oh, and and at that time, Oliver Stone was a Vietnam veteran, and he was a cab driver, and he used to wear his army coat. <laughs> so Oliver Stone was like, "Dude, you you totally took my my character. You totally took me and did that." Um, but of course, Scorsese probably never said anything about it. Yeah, probably not. Um, I saw that uh, Paul Schrader wrote the script in 10 days. That is fucking nuts. 10 days. With two drafts, one after the other. And then um, while he was writing, he also had a loaded gun on his desk as uh, like... Inspiration? Inspiration. How is that inspiration? I don't know. (laughs) If I don't finish the script, I'm going to blow my brains out. Yeah. I have Uh, 10 days. At the end of the 10th day, if I don't have this done, then I'm done. Yeah, Paul Schrader is a. I've seen interviews with him recently. He's kind of an interesting character. Paul Schrader wrote and directed um, the Ethan Hawke film uh, First Reformed that Kelsey and I both saw. And we both really enjoy it, except for that third act. You know, it's part of her. <laughs> it's part of her deathbed do-over. Um, but I, I think, I think it was really good. Um, Paul Schrader. This actually can be considered partially autobiographical. Uh, Paul Schrader suffered a nervous breakdown while living in L.A. and. Um, he was squatting in the ex-girlfriend's apartment when she was gone. Schrader literally didn't talk to anybody for weeks. He went to porno theaters. He was fired from AFI and he was in the middle of a divorce. Yeah, rejected by his current girlfriend at that time uh, and uh, developed an obses- obsession with guns. That's fucking crazy. So he's like living... You know what? Holy shit. Full fucking circle. So Todd Phillips wrote a exactly. movie about himself? <laughs> Paul Schrader wrote Taxi Driver all about himself. Um, that's really, that's really interesting. Um, and of course, obviously, uh, what's, there's, 
one of the biggest things that's been known about this film is the uh, the assassination attempt. Um, oh, here we go. Here we go. So big. So of course, because I, I remember I told you a little bit about this, and you're like, "Wow, really?" You know. Um, oh, you know what? Holy shit! Okay, so Robert De Niro's character is is going to assassinate this senator, um, and he does this for the attention of Jodie Foster. And obviously later on, um, there is John Hinckley. There you go. John Hinckley Jr. stalked Jodie Foster, tried to get her attention, and was like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and shoot Reagan. And then he did that. <laughs> uh, actually, you know, you want to know a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of what people don't know about that assassination attempt? Sure. So John Hinckley Jr. fired his gun three times. Mm-hmm. If I remember three times. Fired a bullet three times. All three of them were supposed to miss Reagan. The only reason one of the bullets got Reagan was the Secret Service man pushed Reagan down. Because whenever whenever there's a life on a presidential candidate or a president, your immediate reaction is to push him down to the ground and to cover over his body. Mm-hmm. When he pushed Reagan down, the bullet hit Reagan. Wow. And that's how Reagan got hit. <laughs> so if that guy never did his job, Reagan would have been fine. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit of history. Yeah, because it's totally his fault, not Hinckley's. Yeah, I mean, no, you know, first of all, you're wrong. It's Jodie Foster's fault for being there, just existing. For existing and not, you know, giving her attention to, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, this young person yeah. who's not even probably of age. Yeah, 13-year-old Jodie Foster didn't give John Hinckley Jr. this 20-something-year-old man the attention that he wanted yeah. at the time. Totally <laughs> makes sense, totally. Uh... So, yeah, is that it? Are we going to wrap that up? Oh, um, there was some ad-libbing. That's one thing I wanted to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, please. Um, I guess the scene where Travis Bickle is talking to himself in the mirror. The classic scene that you hate? It was only written like he looks in the mirror. Mm-hmm. That was it. And then, of course. So, he was, uh, so... Robert De Niro ad-libbed that in. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was actually inspired by uh, Marlon Brando mouthing words in front of a mirror and reflections in a golden eye. Oh, okay. And then from there, he uh, places um, plays himself in film history that you just don't understand. Huh? You don't understand how great that scene is. No, I don't. Nah, you just hate it. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's a poor attempt to throw Kelsey underneath the bus. <laughs> yeah. Why are you trying to do that? I know. I'm sorry. You beat me up so many times. I gotta, I gotta try to get something in. Gotta be better at beating me up. Don't take cheap shots. Okay. God. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm Todd Phillips. Ew. Yeah, it's taking cheap. We're shots. okay. This is the last podcast. <laughs> Seriously. Shit. They don't make comedies anymore. <sighs> Fuck man. Anyway, woke culture. <laughs> I like how you said that. Woke culture. Um. Yeah. Now we're just farting around. <laughs> Um, you want to give people a heads up of what we're going to do next week? I forgot to bring up the thing. Um, we got, I actually, you know what? I'm really, that's one, another one I'm looking forward to talking to you about because we are going to talk about, uh, Bong Joon-ho's film. Yes. Parasite. Um, we don't know which film we're going to watch with that. Uh, yeah. Bong Joon-ho. Yeah. We don't know exactly what film we're going to have for our geriatric cinematic, but we saw Parasite 
earlier in the week. And holy shit, we got a lot to talk about. What if we did old old boy? I don't know if that fits within the the criteria criteria of what <laughs> of our because folks we try not to like go past a ten year mark. We try to get something that's past. Oh, sorry. We oh, try, I thought it was older than ten years. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, if if the film is older than ten years, then we'll throw in our geriatric cinematic section. Um, we try not to have something so close because this is like how's that considered geriatric if the movie came out like three years ago? Yeah. Um. So, uh, maybe maybe oh boy, that would be interesting. But I, I don't know. I kind of want to. I kind of want to find a film that talks about class, and um, compare it to that and see what we say. Especially if like whatever film. Yeah. Actually, you know what? No, it does. Oh, it does fit it. Hmm. Old Doesn't that one have to do with class too, though? A little bit. I kind of want to. What old boy? A little bit. It has more to do with about like secrets and rumors and spreading lies. That's true. So yeah, I mean, we don't really know what we're gonna do for Jared Cinematic, but we are gonna talk about Parasite. Yeah. Fuck. I can't wait. That's that's a great film. Great, 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 great. So yeah. So um, you want to close it off, Kelsey? Close it off. Yeah. It is closed off. It is closed off. Where do we get our music from? <laughs> uh, Lee Llewellyn. Mm-hmm. He met Beto O'Rourke this yes. week. We thought he was kidding. He was not joking. Yeah. He was like, I'm going to go meet Beto O'Rourke tomorrow. And then there he is in a picture with yeah. him. And we're like, oh, shit. Like, he wow, actually he, went. He, met, he really <laughs> met him. Okay. We got to talk to you. Uh, if you're listening, if you're listening, Lee, we got to talk to you about that. See what that what that was like we're we're not necessarily like Beto O'Rourke fans but we just want to talk and see how that was yeah yeah um he is the creator of our intro and outro music mm-hmm. um he is uh the lead vocalist and bassist for the electric west and you can find their music on the they have a show coming up right yeah i think sometime in november i wonder if they got that band manager yet yeah, I don't know. I haven't <laughs> haven't heard anything else about that. Yeah. Um what else? We already talked about Parasite. Mm-hmm. Talked about Lee. Uh, you know, our social media, you can contact us on our social media that we gave out. Um don't forget to rate us on iTunes mm-hmm. so we can you know, get up there in the charts and, and all be that seen shit. And shit. Yeah, you guys can find us on all on all well, you guys can follow us on all the podcast catchers. We were on podcast catchers that I didn't know we were on. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> um, yeah. And I think what well, that's going to be it, right? Yep, that's it. Um, thanks for listening. I'm going to bid you adieu. Do. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. We love you. <laughs>